0: On today's podcast, we finally catch up with Rick Ruoff in Livingston, Montana. He's always been effervescent in our visits, usually at the dock in Isla Morata, Florida, where he has breakfast every morning before exploring Florida Bay. He only fishes with a handful of clients he's had for years. Getting him as your guide is next to impossible. He's so fun to be with, and his knowledge and understanding of his fishery is vast. As a marine biologist, He sees the ghosts of the flats that are unseen by most others. On today's podcast, we laugh profusely as he opens the book on his extraordinary life and experiences.
1: We broke everything, we broke lines, we broke hooks, we broke rods, we broke our minds, we broke marriages, we broke the whole thing. We uh, came
2: up with the idea of going out that night and chasing girls and whoever had the biggest pair of panties went to
1: pot. I knocked another arrow and he turned around the other way and I shot him going through the other way. So I double lunged him both ways.
2: But it was nothing for us to paddle an air mattress out into government cut. I got
1: him on, all right now we're going to teach him a lesson.
2: I'm just an old guy that likes to fish, I'm not
0: quitting yet.
1: And he said, well, who the hell do you think you are, Sue App?
0: And I said, that's exactly who I am. Life's journey to the grave should not be one arriving with a pretty, well-preserved body, but rather skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly torn out, thoroughly used up, proclaiming wildly, wow, what a ride.
2: (laughs) There's something fishy going on here.
0: I, you know, it's it's a we've all heard this before. I loved you at hello, <laughs> but I Same did. Here. I did love you at hello. Same here, buddy. You Same know, here. I've never fished with you. Nope. But every time I see you, there's something to be said. Yeah. Well. To I each can, other. I can talk. And, yes, and you
2: can. So could you? We're really good at our craft. Yeah. But, but you I, know, I it's so funny because you and I exist in completely different worlds fishing wise I'm not fishing. a tournament guy not a record guy not a hardcore guy not a driven guy and you are the epitome of a competitor I right. mean when it's you rise to whatever occasion is necessary and to me to me I'm in church when I'm in the outdoors when I'm in a boat when I'm in the Everglades I'm in church and and you're winning tournaments and they're two very different philosophies. But you know what? We all love the same thing. Yeah. We still love the same thing.
0: Commonality there, for yeah. sure. Yeah, um, Why did you... Because, look, there's, I have a photograph, I think, in my book with you and Huff. Yeah, and Harry. And Harry. Yeah. Three of the of the best guys <laughs> that Keys has ever known. Yeah. Well, two of them, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you. you Yeah, you and 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 Huff. You and Huff. You and Huff. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, so look, these guys cut their teeth um, on fishing hard, as you did. Yeah. But I think, too, um, why did you not have that competitive urge to win all these great tournaments that they did? The Gold Cup, what did that mean to you? just a
2: pain in the ass that people were driving over a whole lot of fish trying to get somewhere when I was trying to catch something. So I just went bone fishing for five days. It was simple. It was perfect. Yeah, then at 3 o'clock I'd go
1: tarpon fishing. You, you just know? had no desire to, to compete you in tournament to it, win You it, know, it's trophy. funny.
2: All my life, uh, my dad, who was the nicest human being I've ever known, um, was never a competitive guy. When I played, I played uh, baseball, I ran track, I played basketball, and I... Played a little football. And I was never outstanding. Everybody thought I should be a great basketball player because I was a center and I was the hot, tallest kid. And, oh, I sucked. You know, and, you know, uh, somebody whipped me a behind-the-back pass and hit me in the face. It was like, what? Pay attention. Are you not coordinated? I'm I'm coordinated, but I'm not... I'm not... I don't rise to competition. Competition kind of wigs me out. And to me, I settle into... The, my best zone is when I'm learning something. And I my best sports were solo. I was uh, good at track. I, I was pretty good at track. And that's the kind of thing where um, y- you're competing, but only with yourself. Right. And you're learning about yourself. You're learning about your limits. And, and my limits in, like, fishing... Um, there were no limits. I, I I just wanted to learn. And that's that was my
0: competition. How much can I learn today? The beauty of competition for me over all these years is more so than trying to win and beat somebody. But I was always interested in the war that I'm waging between my mind and my body. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. My body's trying to tell my golf swing. Okay, pause at the top. It's all about tempo. Uh, in skiing, it was okay. Wait, wait for the apex to you hit to the apex to, and that door to open to, to start that turn to come in on the gate. So there's always a timing thing, and there's a communication that goes on between the brain and yeah. the body. And I was always interested to see how my body would react, and that's why I've always loved competition Mm -hmm. uh when you see people like michael jordan you know hit the three-pointer at the buzzer in front of a billion people watching on tv let alone a stadium how do these guys do that and it's just amazing to me because i'm good at what i do in 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 small forms but I, i don't know if i could do that you know in that with that kind of an audience but in fishing, I would think that you would be okay because it's just you and your angler. Yeah. you think that you could make a mistake as a guide in a tournament? Oh, all the time.
2: Sure. I mean, everybody makes mistakes. You make them as an angler. Guides make them as guides. But
0: you think you'd make a bigger mistake because
2: you're in a tournament? No. You know, it, it, I just shy you away. didn't like it. I just shy away from competition. It, it's like, don't want to do it. You know, I'm kind of getting there. And as I get older, Andy, you know, to me, there's so many things that I felt were important when I was young. I didn't have to, you know, catch a world record, or I didn't have to do this. But now it's how I'm feeling about it, and mm-hmm. and I've done enough stuff where I don't need to prove anything to myself anymore. Sure. I need to go out there and say, God, that was a good day. Right. And that's what it's all about. As as you get older, I watch my father age. And and the things that he would, how I watched him have his enjoyment at whatever he was doing, uh, it became more and more apparent to me that it's not the big stuff, it's the little stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when you go to bed at night and you think about the day and you think, God, that was a great day, that's what counts. Yeah, good you for know, you. I, I didn't beat anybody, and I used to, you know, play golf. Played golf competitively for a number of years too. And um, I didn't like it. I don't play golf anymore at all. It, it, I did not like the fact that my whole mood was
0: determined by did I succeed in beating somebody. How about a, a score? Just you personally with a score. Could you play golf alone?
2: Oh, I, I loved The last time I played golf, I, I went out and I, I, I played a perfect par round, 18 pars. I never did that when wow. I was playing well.
0: Yeah, and, and I
2: hadn't played in three years wow. and it was the, like the coolest thing and I thought I can't ever do better than this and I don't think I've played three holes since Harry and I <laughs> used to play Harry and I used to play a lot and it, it, of course then it was
0: I had to beat him because he needed beating <laughs> 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 he well, needed a good beating <clears throat> well I know you and Harry used to fish a lot together a and, lot yeah um Tell me about what it's like to fish with Harry. Maybe one of your better experiences. Oh,
2: Harry, fishing with Harry is just a trip. We're such good friends, and we've been friends for 45 or 47 years, something or other. And I remember that we used to go uh, bone fishing when we were when these bone fish flies that we were working on were evolving and we got them down so dialed in where it wasn't a maybe you were gonna get a fish and a big one. Um, so he would come dial the Murata, the home of the big one, and he and would he and I would go out and then would have dinner and then he'd stay and then we'd go out in the morning. And so we'd go fish in the evening and we'd go fish in the morning. And uh, we had days where we caught so many fish over 10 pounds tailing that was what we had to do that was the best of the best and we just did that and it was ridiculous uh how good it was and then we would kind of go well mine was 12 and a half I think mine was 13 and and it would be that kind of competition but we were laughing the whole time because we didn't, we didn't care. care they were just enormous big tubs yeah and we had so much fun but yeah i love fishing with harry harry's been through a lot of iterations in life and as have we all and he's a great guy to be with and i used to call him harry the hawk because he had he had the best eyes and he would he had aced me on that. Now I can see way better than he can. I like. I just like to point that out. But
0: anyway, he. Uh, but did he, you guys uh, revolutionize uh, like the mow or an epoxy? Yeah, he, fly? he. Yeah, and and we we both worked on that. And I kind of did one thing. And he did another.
2: But we both came up with a, a mother of epoxy. Is kind of what it ended up being called. And I still, I still have a few. And this is back in eighty, I don't know, four or five or six or something, and it was kind of. It, it changed the game i mean we used to fish with the uh, snapping shrimp and these silly ass things that wouldn't catch anything anymore in the keys
1: why did it change the game
2: because it was a shrimp and and uh it was so good here's a here's a quick story that so i had a, a guy who was a friend of mine who was a well-known fisherman down there who was mainly a bait fisherman And he says, I heard you got a fly that'll outfish anything. I said, yeah, that's right. And he goes, I could outfish it. I said, with what? He said, with a shrimp. I said, no, you couldn't. And he goes, what? I can throw a shrimp and you can throw a fly and you're going to outfish me? I said, absolutely. He said, all right. You want to make a bet? And I said, no, I'll do better than that. I said, I will make you a bet. I will take you in the boat and you and I will go fishing, and you're going to get a shot, and then I'm going to get a shot. I'll pull. I'll do all the pulling. I said, I'll pull you up to fish, and if you don't like it, if you don't like the angle, you don't like the shot, don't take the shot. But if you say, okay, I'm going to throw, you can use crabs, shrimp, use anything you want, pork chops, I don't care. I said, it's going to cost you $1,000 if you don't hook that fish. Then I'll do the same thing. With my fly. Now, I'm going to say I don't like it. They're tailing away. I can't get in front of them. But I said, I'll bet you $1,000 a cast. That says a lot coming from you. Buddy. It was a lot coming from me. But <laughs> come from now, everybody, but I, especially yeah, you. But suddenly, the, I, I became competitive, apparently. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I just wanted to take this guy's money home, you know, because his arrogance was going to cost him. Right. And we got to the point where we were going to go one day and it was blowing too hard. And then he started asking questions and he backed off.
0: He said, no, nah, I, I don't think I want to do that. So tell me Damn about it. the fly. Tell me about this
2: fly. Well, the fly is a marabou, tan marabou tail. When we used to use a mustad hooks, which is, you know, decades and right. decades ago, it was a 34 um 07. SS. No, never, that was the tarp, and the SS was a tarp. Yeah, never used that. Yeah, just yes. And um, and it was a, a triangular head on a um, uh, with epoxy. And what I would do is I would burn monofilament eyes, so you'd have the eyes about half an inch, three quarters of an inch, and then you would take thread and wrap around the eye, take it to the eye of the hook, wrap it around there, so you'd form a triangle with the thread. Right to hold the epoxy right and then you would take a daub of 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 real epoxy not five minute epoxy and and kind of trowel it on there with a matchstick and then the thread would hold it and then you would have to keep turning it keep it from dripping by hand so it wouldn't get a drip and a bulge and then after it started to cure then you were all set you'd put them out in the sun and it would be a big deal to make six you know that'd be like oh.
0: had a whole morning here. You know? So Bobby Branham's got a similar fly to that. Yeah, and he he copied your yeah. Your fly. I think I think that was the only game in town at the beginning. I right.
2: mean, between Harry and I, and then you know Steve did the you know the Merkin and and you know there were there was and and Nat Ragland to his credit did a lot of work too with the mother of epoxy permit fly.
1: Right. You I was going to say because you said that the the tail end was preferably a tan marabou tan
2: marabou with about two
1: uh, strips of crystal flesh okay because bob branham's had splayed out feathers if i'm not mistaken but but his head was the same head head was the the head was similar yeah yeah yeah, absolutely
2: and it was it was just an automatic as automatic you'd never get a refusal it was like what he ate it yes with permit too permit liked it but it was small for permit and it wasn't heavy Mm-hmm. Mine was unweighted because uh, all I did was fish tailing fish.
0: Tell me about when you you guys used to fish together, you know? Harry. Yeah, <laughs> we had some the- times, buddy. We
2: we had we had some times, and I probably shouldn't talk about all of them, but but one I can remember that uh, we were in Key West, and Harry said, "Let's go to Key West to catch a permit." I said, "Okay, cool." Because I really didn't want to catch a permit; I wanted to catch a mutton snapper but which was kind of my big deal then back then there were quite a few mutton snapper and you could actually go fish for them you know and and be relatively you know confident you're going to get some good throws so anyway we go to key west and it is glass calm not a cloud in the sky the absolute worst situation you could ever have for permit and harry we wake up and he goes ah we're gonna have a great day and i said i think we ought to go bone fishing or tarpon fishing he goes Nah, we're gonna go permit fishing. I said it's ridiculous. It's calm. It's clear. We're not gonna catch anything. And he goes, "Oh, we'll catch him, bro." And I said, "No, no,
0: no, no." Always bro.
2: Always bro. All <laughs> it still is to this day. It's bro. If the phone rang, it'd be bro. And so anyway, we we take off in his boat and we're driving him around. And um, and he the the tide is a medium tide, uh, not rising, falling. And we take off across Lavina Bank. And I'm thinking he's out of his mind. He's running aground. It, it was like 18 inches deep, and we're wide open. And I go, what are you doing? What are you doing? We're going to run aground here, dude. It's the bank six miles long. And he goes, oh, we're looking for permit. And I go, you got to be kidding me. Get out of here. And he keeps going, and and. Sure enough, in the middle of uh, uh, Lavina Bank, uh, here comes a big wake we're pushing out in this slick, calm water, and it blows up. It's a school of permit, and they take off, and Harry he turns the key off, and there we are in the middle of Lavina Bank in 18 inches of water. I'm thinking, well, we're going to die here. You know, we'll just starve to death, and Nat Ragland will find me, and, uh, and so uh, the fish run off about two or 300 yards, and the wake stops tails come up, and I went, oh, Jesus, and he says, see, so he pulls over, and sure enough, we catch a permit on a fly, and I go, impossible, (laughs) (laughs) but that's Harry, you never knew what was going to happen.
0: Yeah, he was, uh... look, I'd never seen anything like this before, because I had only fished saltwater stuff a couple of times with bob branham yeah and then i got hooked up with harry and he was i fished with him for seven years two 40, opposite sides of the spectrum yeah oh my yeah. god i mean it's like he was for 40 days a year it was harry and i for seven <laughs> years and i didn't know the difference and you do yeah you, know, you knew the difference yeah do, if i would have been on that boat in the Lavinia bank i'd be going oh wow this is cool yeah <laughs> you yeah know? but you yeah. know but here you go two great fishermen that have different methodologies and yeah. attack plans. What about Huff? Oh, well, Huff, I mean, how do Huff you? Huff story?
2: Uh, oh, I got Huff stories. Everybody has them. He's the best. And I mean, when, you know, they call him the god of guides and all this stuff. I mean, is I, he? I, I hate, to, yeah, of is course he? he is. Of there course you, he is. And, and I just hate to use that term. I just don't want to swell him up anymore. But you can't even swell the guy up because he's just you so can't. humble. Yeah. You can't. He's the anyway, he's the best human being, and uh, so, so one time, a girlfriend, uh, uh I wanted to go to Europe uh, for my uh, 60th birthday with a lot of money and just go wild, you know, and uh, uh she didn't want to, and I said, Well, it's my birthday. And I'm paying to go, so why don't you want to go? I don't want to go and, you know, drink and philander around, which is my my (laughs) whole purpose of going. The objective. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to see some cool things and places and people. So anyway, uh, she didn't want to go. And I was kind of bummed. I said, well, here it is, my 60th birthday, and now what? You know, i got to do something. And she says, uh, oh, but I, I have an alternative, and you're going to really like it. I said, oh, yeah, where, Prague, no, wait, what? And uh, and she says, uh, I called Steve, and he's going to take you fishing on your birthday. Huff. Very cool. And I went, oh, my God, he's second choice. <laughs> 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 so I go over there, I drive to Everglades City, and uh, I took myself bass fishing on the way over just to make sure it was going to be a really good trip. And uh, I roll into his yard and uh, Patty has made a birthday cake for me and she's cooking dinner. And Huff comes out of the house and I've got this little P-rogue boat that I bass fish in and he was all about that. You know, we're looking at that. So I said, he said, what do you want to do tomorrow? I said, I'll tell you what I don't want to do. I don't want to catch tarpon. You know, I want to catch a snook or a redfish, and I just want to be with you and have fun, dude. That's all I want to do. And It doesn't matter if we catch anything, anyway. Right. He says, "Oh, we're going to catch something." So we have this gorgeous dinner that they cooked—snook that died, died at his hand, not mine—and uh, <laughs> we released uh, him dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so we we go out in the morning and have a great breakfast and go on. And I said, I don't want to have this be like dawn to dark. This is, I want it to be fun, fun, fun for you and for me, because just being with you is the best. So we go out, we're framing around and he said, I really think we should look for tarpon. All right. Okay. So we go and pull across a bunch of muddy water and don't see a tarpon. So I said, well, now that we have that out of the way, let's go fishing. So we go and we look. And the fishing was not very good. But I ended up, you know, uh, wanting to snook fish. So I brought, all I fish with is a six-weight rod. That's it. I, if I never fish with another rod the rest of my life, that would be fine. Six-weight is fine. And he goes, why are you going to fish with a six-weight rod? I said, because that's what I want to use. And he goes, well, that's absurd. I said, it's going to catch any snook. I'm gonna fish a fifteen pound tippet on it. And what difference does it make? I right. don't care. It's my day. It's my <laughs> day. And so I had a thirty pound shock leader rigged up that was about sixteen inches long, so I could retie after a couple bites. Steve and I don't have... let you do that? And and You're there was great. no there was no bimini twist. And there and he looks at that and he was so disgusted. He got off the platform <laughs> and he comes up, he said, Let me see that shit. <laughs> and and he's disgusted. And he says, I'm not gonna pull for that. We're using that. And I said, you're pulling. This is my birthday and you're taking me. Now I'm going to fish with whatever I want. He goes, that's not even fly fishing. I said, Steve, fly rod, reel, line, it's fly fishing. Nope, it's not fly fishing. I said, you mean I got to tie a Bimini twist and a, a, you know 11.99 inch shock leader? Yep. I said, too bad. Ain't happening to start pulling, So it ended up that I and all he ragged me all day long. And I it wasn't great by his standards, but we caught a couple of snook and a couple of redfish, and I had a great time. We came back and another great dinner. And it was just so great being with him. But I'll never forget, I'll never forget that he was so and he would not pole. I mean he would not fish. I said, Okay, I caught a fish. I'm pulling. Nope. Your birthday? I'm pulling.
0: Yeah, he's um oh. He sets the standard for class. Oh, the best and, and integrity. The too. best
2: of the best. He's my best friend that I never see. I love the guy. I'd jump off a building for the guy. Right. Seven days a week, and I never see him. We never get together. He lives over there. I live other place. He's been to this house in Montana twice. You see and, him more here than there. Yeah, and he wouldn't. He wouldn't let me take him fishing. I was painting this house. And he spent three days on a ladder with a paintbrush, he and Patty both. Wow. The only thing he would do is drink beer. But he would not go fi- I said, Steve, let's just fish in the morning. And if you want to help me paint, we'll paint in the afternoon for a couple of hours.
0: Nope. Gotta get this house done. Painting
2: all day. We're getting this bitch done. Uh, <laughs> I went, Jesus.
0: That's, That's crazy. He's the
2: hardest man in the world. But yeah. Who doesn't love him? Yeah, I don't think. Sure. I don't think he's got an enemy on planet Earth. Yeah, there's and no way. And his boys, his boys... Chad and Dustin are a reflection of that.
1: Yeah, they're the best. The best. Well, Rick, I don't know you very well, but I'm very interested in um, you know to see how you got down to the Keys. Were you born in the Keys? No oh, hell. Um, you know, I
2: I grew up in Ohio, and um, I didn't know doodle about saltwater, and uh, and I had the good fortune to win a science contest when I was in uh, high school, and the the winners of all the regions of Ohio. Um, got to go to Cleveland to meet Jacques Cousteau, who was filming for his television series, The Undersea World of Jacques Cousteau. And he was my absolute hero. He was my Andy Mill, you know. And so Mm. this guy was something. I mean, he was something. And um, so, I mean, it was the first famous person I'd ever met. And so we go and he... We all stand up when he comes in, and he's got his little toque on, and he's about five feet four. Oh, hello, hello, you, hello, you, never, hello. Remember,
0: you never saw him? Do you know who he is? Yeah, of course. Okay. Oh, well, well, he he
2: he, he was uh, uh, an amazing human being. So uh, I was just taken taken with his show and his personality and everything, and so I came back from that, and I told my mom and dad, I said, I want to be a marine biologist. That Which, quickly which uh doesn't happen for a lot of kids in akron ohio you know so sure so i everything all all of a sudden everything i wanted to do was this i wanted to be violent my father was a doctor and i kind of thought i was going to be a doctor so that kind of got my thinking changed so then i um, um, (laughs) uh, it was so interesting that i decided when i applied to, to college i applied to university of Hawaii. I applied to a lot of schools. I was an honors student and I got in all of them, uh, or got accepted to all of them. And I, my first choice was Hawaii and the university of Hawaii had a great program, especially graduate program, marine biology, but they didn't have on student housing for freshmen. And even I knew that I was going to go off the rails in Honolulu, you know, (laughs) serves up dude. And, uh, I'd flunk out in six weeks, you know? So my grandparents lived on the West coast of Florida and, uh, uh, over by Sarasota. And so I ended up going to the University of Miami in Coral Gables. And, uh, and that's where I learned how to fish. Did you meet Huff there? He was a year ahead of me and we ran into each other, didn't really know each other, but I ran into him on Long Key Bridge and he would, he would fish Long Key Bridge like a madman for permit and he'd be drifting crabs to permit from the bridge and doing all this crazy stuff. And he was kind of legendary. I was in a fishing club and, um, and they all go, Hey, do you know about that guy Huff? Yeah. He, even then he was like the dude. Before he even had a boat. Oh, hell no he was on his bicycle you know I mean he was uh, he was the underground unknown unseen ghosty fished mythical dude. creature of the bridge he was yeah. and he would he would catch stuff and I'd uh, hear what he caught and go damn
1: wait a minute what <laughs> so you got down to Miami you were going to the University of Miami yes. and then did you have a friend group that you know went down to the keys and fished the bridge I would you- I would
2: hitchhike to the keys I had a sign, I've got a a picture of somebody took of me in front of uh, University of Miami in 1967 with a sign that said Isla Morata, hitchhiking down US-1. Oh, that's such a great photo. And that that was was my life. And then I had a a sign on the flip side, University of Miami.
3: (laughs) 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 And so I would
2: hitchhike down to the Keys, I would sleep on the bridges on the catwalks and fish all night. Until I passed out. You know, you'd fish till you dropped. Right. And then you'd just lay down on the catwalk and sleep. You'd roll up
1: your jacket or your raincoat, and that was your pillow. And you, you'd just. So were you like sophisticated about targeting perma and tarpon, or were no. you just have a shrimp on a hook and catch a No, catching snappers? I wanted
2: to catch. I didn't care if I caught a blue runner. Right. I mean, it was like, damn, is this cool. Just For a kid from Ohio, Right. For, for a kid from Ohio, I remember I ran into, I was out waiting for bonefish on a flat and there were two manatees up on this flat and they were, their backs were out. They were sleeping, sleeping on the flat. They were fat and happy. <laughs> and I go creeping up to them and I take my rod and I go, whoa, boink, boink. And I poke this one manatee and nothing happened. And I thought, are they dead? you know, and I poked it again in his eye, goes blink, and, and all of a sudden, there was rooster tails of mud and grass. Both of them took off. I thought I was going to get mowed down by humanity. I'll never forget it in my life. Oh, oh, it was so fun, and, you know, would this catch... This is the shrimp. early 60s, you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: And then what was the... When did you pick up a fly rod?
2: Um, I learned to fly fish um, in an unorthodox way. And Lefty Cray liked to point that out to me. Um, so I, I had a hero, and Andy will know this guy. Gadabout about Gaddis was my hero when I was a kid. He had a television show called The Flying Fisherman, and he had a, he had a uh, airplane on floats. I think it won '82 or something on floats. And he flew all over and he fished with a fly rod. And he would fish poppers for bass and stripers and things. And the guy, so Jacques Cousteau and Gad about Gaddis were my Saturday heroes. That was my guys. And so I wanted to be Jacques Cousteau and I wanted to be Gad about Gaddis. So it required me learning how to fly fish. So I saved up all my money. I got a Garcia Conlon rod fiberglass and a Perrine automatic fly reel. And a level H line or something, I don't even remember what it was. And I I got some poppers and I went out on this lake in this rowboat where I'd fished with spinning tackle and I knew it pretty well. And the bass were betting, and I could see these big bass just swimming around. And I couldn't the, the harder I tried to cast, the faster I went, the harder I went, and pretty soon the water looked like a milkshake on both sides of the boat. I was all by myself, <laughs> and I just frothed the water, and I couldn't get it 20 feet. It was like making me crazy. So I uh, I got angry, and this is not something I'm proud of, but I will admit to you what I did. I took my brand new fly rod reel and threw it at the bass. <laughs> threw it at the bass. Yelling and screaming. Now, fortunately, I had no witnesses or I would have been supremely embarrassed. Well, I embarrassed myself to myself. And that's not comfortable ever, you know. So I immediately, when the thing was in the air, arcing over toward the bass, I went, oh, no. But I had a spinny rod and I had a head and sonic lure, which is a lead and metal lure that sinks. So I spent an hour dibbling around i finally got my fly rod my hook my fly line brought my fly rod in and and put it in the boat everything was good nothing was broken i thought okay i didn't know anybody at fly fish my mom dad none of his friends nobody so i thought okay so i would religiously watch gad about you know forming a the loop timing, and so. then I finally got it down finally got it down so I'll never forget I was in uh, in this uh, shop in Miami that I, I built fishing rods and J. Lee Cuddy Associates which was kind of my hangout and Bob McChristian was Seamaster Reels those were my two hangouts when I was in college and uh Lefty Craig comes in and Lefty was a director of the Miami Met fishing tournament at the time and uh, he was a big big name in Miami then and so uh I uh I was talking to Lefty, he said, oh, Rick, I've got a new rod. Why don't you come out in the parking lot and let's cast it? And I thought, oh, God, oh, God, (laughs) you know, here's the guy who can cast the whole thing with his fingers, you know. So I go out there and he makes this beautiful cast, you know, and lays it down. And he goes, here, you try it. So I make a couple casts. And he goes, well, that's pretty good, but it ain't that good. And I went, oh, God, Jesus, you know. And he said, "You got a problem. Is you got a hitch and you're giddy up." And I said, uh, "What?" And so the basic thing was, I didn't stop. I did a. It'd be like if you wiggled your on your backstroke in golf. If you came back and gave it a wiggle, right, right, you're not right. going to be clean on your right. stroke. And the same thing with a fly rod. If you go back and do that, hit the you, wall. You, yeah, you've you've put drifted couple. You've drifted and put a little bit of slack in it, and. It will not be the per. You can cast great at 40 feet, but you won't cast great at 60 feet. So anyway, he straightened me out. I got a big kick out of that. And uh, I was with Joan Wolf one time, and and Joan is like my real good buddy. She is the best. And I used to take her, and she and Lee, fishing. And I tell you what, if there was talent in the boat, it was Joan. Yeah. I, honest to God. And you can't do better than Joan Wolf. And anyway, so... She and I were fiddling around one time with a fly rod and she looks at me and she goes, "Oh, you've got a lovely lovely cast." I said, "That's crap." I said, "I am functional caster. I am not a pretty caster. You're beautiful, you know." But it was it was such a it, it, I just think about how I learned to cast and all the things that went into it and I thought, "Well, at least I can get it out there once in a while." You right. Know? Yeah good enough for me
1: that's what i always say i'm a functional caster yeah pretty caster my dad's like yeah he's beautiful yeah 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 pinkies out he's bending his knees oh yeah yeah. oh yeah
2: i'm just so i can't do that (laughs) no you don't need to be pretty just get it out there
0: how's he gonna be feeling walking back to colorado yeah (laughs) we took my car here bro (laughs) Uh, well let's um let's talk about your home here i mean we're in montana it's october what october 11th it's elk hunting season you're a bird guy yeah you know tell me a little bit about your life and we'll get back into the fishing because i know you go from here um to arizona yeah and also in the keys when the timing is right there tell me about this whole trifecta dynamic well
2: you know birds migrate for a reason and it's winter and i figure i do too and you know uh, the crazies
0: I, have snow on them this morning. Oh, I'm so sure. When they are did. you gonna start flapping your
2: wings? Well, the October 27th. As it's a matter it. of fact, so I am. Uh, I'm not a big fan of cold weather. I used to ski, and I used to, you know, kind of like winter. I'd go to Jackson Hole and go skiing or stuff like that, and you know, I'd go downhill skiing, cross country skiing, snowshoeing. Younger was okay. But I get cold, and as I get older, I get colder, and, and I don't like being cold. So, so it's been interesting to me that um, I have kind of fell in love with Arizona a long time ago. I went down to visit a girlfriend and go quail hunting, and, and um, it, it became part of my life with bird dogs and quail, and uh, same thing here in Montana where I hunt and fish. I first started coming out here in 1972, And it was a different world, you know, as was everywhere. So were the keys. And I I was going to buy a big uh, 52-foot friendship sloop. And I was going to be... What is that? uh, It's a very big, classic sailboat built in Maine. Hmm. Wooden boat, 100-year-old boat, classic. And I I thought I would be like uh, the Caribbean soul you can scarcely control, you know, and I was going to be like sailing and catching fish and smuggling dope or something Jacks really, Barrow. really cool, you know, <laughs> and, um, and that was 1972. And I, I had a good friend, uh, Paul Brune, um, who's still my buddy and still kicking. And, uh, he, I was on my way to Alaska to see a girlfriend and hang out up there. And uh, he said, oh, he just moved, he was the editor of a paper in Miami, and then he became the editor of the Jackson Hole News and Guide. And he said, you need to stop in Wyoming and see me. Well, I hadn't been to Wyoming since I was a kid, you know, with my mom and dad. And so I, I stopped to see him, loved the whole thing, spent two weeks with him, went fishing, climbing, hiking. And then I went to Alaska and I spent uh, six weeks up there and I had the best time. But there was something that was better about Wyoming than Alaska, and I think it was the attitude toward resource. Alaska was a user-based, if there's a moose walking across mm-hmm. the road, shoot it. Yeah. Um, in Wyoming, people cared. People cared more about the resources. Uh, Alaska has gotten to it, but it was way behind at the time. And so I came back, and I got thinking about how much I liked Wyoming. So I hitchhiked. Back to Wyoming, and spent another couple weeks. And when I got back to Florida, I called the guy. I'd given him some money on this big sailboat, and uh, we were going to complete the deal in October. When I got back, and I said, "You know what? I'm I'm gonna if I have to forfeit the money, God bless you, but I think I'm going to change my lifestyle." So I started coming out, and then I started hanging out more in Montana than Wyoming ended up buying this house i used to rent houses in this area but I, I found three places in montana that i loved dearly that were all about the resource it was hunting and fishing and it was all close and handy and friendly and uh, i i settled on this place and it's a magnificent place it's changed a lot my access you know when ranches shell, they're closed and uh it, everywhere in this valley uh when i moved here i could hunt or fish with Without even a phone call, you know. And the, what
1: rivers do you fish around here? What I the, fish
2: the Gallatin, the Madison, the Jefferson, and the Missouri. They're all within six miles.
1: And uh, and,
0: and you don't have a a, a raft.
2: I have a, I have a jet boat, a John boat, a raft, and a drift boat. Oh, you do. Yeah, So you have it
0: all. I I have it all, and um, <laughs> um, I I I cherish it. I don't think people realize what kind of an outdoorsman you really are. You know, it's a lot of your, your people, you know, people in, in Isla Morada. No, it, it, it's funny because
2: in this town, nobody knows what I do, and I've been here for you know thirty years. Um, I mean,
0: they, you're home. Uh, it, they it, it, just
2: it, think I, I don't know. Some I'm dilettante <laughs> with a boat and a rod or something in Florida. I don't know, and and in Florida. Uh, Only the people that have come out here to visit me, Timmy Klein's been here, Norman Duncan's been here, uh, Flip's been here. A lot of people have been here, and they know what I do here. And this is my other life. And in Arizona, nobody knows anything about fishing because there is none, and they don't give a damn what I do there. I'm just the guy that lives in the old barrio and has a dog and goes quail hunting. You've, You've never been married. I have not been married. On the other hand, I've never been divorced, so I, I take that as a win. At you, least one didn't, win. Didn't
1: you get married in Christmas Island?
2: That was a language barrier problem. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I thought I thought she
2: proposed to me, and I thought she wanted to be my house girl, and I agreed to that, and suddenly I was married. But it, I chalked that up to language.
0: <laughs> but I think you also have a language problem when you're actually fishing. Um, you know, you all of a sudden start speaking another language. Well,
2: when... here's uh, yeah, you give hit us it, an You, hit a, of you this. hit a
0: note that's not a
2: not a sore point, but an interesting point. So, I have a lot of background in biology and marine biology, and so uh, I was always pretty handy with Latin names of algae and fish and trees and stuff that I could relate to. And so all my clients um, have learned to say to me when fishing really sucks and we're seeing nothing. And I start expounding on the virtues of this Latin name and that Latin name and this is a shrimp and that's a crab and this is a mangrove tree. And uh, they go, oh no, oh no. And I go, what's up? And they go, Latin, you're giving us the Latin. I go, yeah, well you should know this. And they go... Means we're not going to catch anything here. And I go, okay, you're on to me. <laughs> you're right. So if you ever fish with me, Nikki,
0: and I start in like Latin, we gotta move. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you actually get into the guiding in Isla Morada area, and oh, getting your boat, and, oh, the, and it, making that transition? Oh, it was from so so bridge guy to a, a so a ass, so ass backward. So
2: I um. When I was in college, um, I got to know, um, this, uh, a friend in the same class, Richard Gentry, and his father was Earl Gentry, who was one of the old classic Island Rada guides. And as I got fishing more and, and, and wanted to get away from wading and bridges where I could actually get some mobility, his father had a, a broken down, the bottom was coming out of it, Willie Roberts plywood skiff. And Richard said, man, you ought to buy my dad's boat. He'll sell it to you really cheap. So I think I bought it for $300 with the motor. So I took it back to Miami, put it upside down on sawhorses in the front yard of my house, and completely took the boat apart and rebuilt it. Remolded the plywood, pieced it together, and I had a bonefish skiff. And that that became the thing. And at the time, I was working as a mate on a charter boat in Hallover. And I was running a, a 52... I wasn't running. I was a mate on a 52-foot Carolina boat on a Hallover Inlet. And that, that was a tourist... Tourist deal, you'd, you'd take people out, you'd catch a couple dolphin or a bonita and come home. It's
0: kind of like the same path that Harry had. Harry yeah. was a mate as well yeah. prior becoming right. a flat skiff yeah. guy. A lot of guys, Billy Bowles. Yeah. And the captain
2: of the boat, uh, because I knew Latin and I could talk to people, I guess, uh, he said, why don't you get your license so you can run the boat, I can get a day off. I thought, okay. So he helped me get my license. So I got my captain's license, which all of a sudden I realized was a big deal, you know. So now I had a skiff and I had a captain's license, but I never in the world dreamed of guiding, never. And so I was in an honors program in the university and I, I set my classes up right every Tuesday off. And every Tuesday I would go down and the manager of Bud Mary's Marine in Isla Mirada named Roland Reams. And Roland was my buddy, and um, I would come down, and he and I would go fishing every Tuesday, and then every Tuesday night, his wife would cook us dinner, and I would, we would go fish, we would talk about life, and I would drive back to Miami and become a student on Wednesday. So Roland, in the course of my, you know, fishing trips with him, said, "Well, so I had, I had." Uh, a major in biology, a minor in English, minor in business, uh, a very weak minor in chemistry. I had all these credentials to become what? I wanted to go to marine biology grad school. That was kind of my thing, University of Miami, Rosenstiel. Um, I got accepted to vet school, dental school, business grad school, and then I thought about law. And I thought, it was waking me out because it'd be came time to graduate and i thought this is why people jump off bridges man they make the wrong decision in life they become homeless alcoholics and jump and i thought shit what am i going to do with my life and roland said to me one time while we were having dinner he said rick you've got a boat you're good at fishing why don't you become a guide i'll see if i can get you into Bud mary's and i it, it was like light bulbs went off and i thought whoa what and um, so I still have the piece of paper. And so I sat down on my, one of my <clears> father's <throat> prescription pads and worked out at the time we were getting $35 a day for guiding. So how much would it take for me to live in the Keys and could I make it? So I figured out at $35 a day, I would have to fish like a 100 days you know, to make... To break even. To make it. I mean, yeah. just eat, you yeah, know, I mean. and put gas in the boat. So Roland takes me to meet the man, at, the owner of Bud Mary's, who was Jack Kurtz at the time. And Jack turned into a, a, a good friend and a mentor to me. He was a nice man. Yeah, I, I took him fishing out here a lot. And um, he said, I want to be very clear with you, Rick. He said, you're at the bottom, bottom of the total pool. Every guide has to be booked before I will book you. It would not be fair to the other guides. There hadn't been a new guide in seven years. Huff was a new guide, but he was in Marathon. There were 18 guides in the Upper Keys. I was became the 19th. Wow. Um, that's counting everybody. And uh, this newspaper guy came down and did a story on me, and it's called the 19th Pole. <laughs> And isn't that something? And so, anyway, I mean, back then, you knew everybody with a boat. You knew every orthodontist or surgeon that had a boat in Miami. There were only like six of them. Mm -hmm. And so, you knew every single person. And I remember the first year I guided, I carried two gallons of water, a spare prop, um, two cans of spaghetti. Chef Boyardee, I'd like to point that out. (laughs) And, And... And a mosquito net. Because when you were in the backcountry... In case you get stuck. If you broke down, there was no radio. There was no anything. And you would go days and not see anybody. And my biggest fear was to, like, be out there and threaten, you know, somebody's life with extinction because of a bad decision. I ran aground or something. Right. Do you remember your first guide trip? Were you nervous? Oh, God. I, I was... I was beyond nervous. I'll tell you, my first guide trip, and it, it's embarrassing. So, especially going to be to your father to hear this. So, <laughs> so I, I have this. Did you sleep the night before? Oh, I was like, I was like yeah. pins and needles, and it was a live bait tarpon trip. Now, this is not fly. There were hardly any fly fishermen when I started guiding, hardly any. And what year is this? Seventy. Seventy. So, I have a guy and his name is Michael Black. He's my client. And so I went out and netted mullet and I had these live bait rods and I took him down to channel two and I throw the anchor over and there's Jimmy Albright, there's Cecil Keith and there's all the legends and I'm terrified. I'm terrified i'm terrified my anchor is going to drag i'm going to float into them. something terrible is going to happen i'm going to get you know run out of the keys tarred and feathered so i kind of go way off to the side so they can't like hear me yada, yada, yada. i'm nervously talking the whole time i'm spewing latin left and right <laughs> and, and, and 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 so so identity's mullet anchored the boat hooked the mullet put it out for this guy hand him the rod And I said, Michael, it was just he and I, and I said, "Uh, I'm going to put another rod in this rod holder over here. So twice the chance. What a brilliant guide I was, you know, honor student for a reason. (laughs) And so anyway, I, uh, I throw the mullet over and all of a sudden there's this explosion and this rod that I just put in the rod holder goes wham and this tarpon's flying out of the water. And I said, get the rod, get the rod. Jesus, give me the other rod. Get the rod. Pick that rod up. And Anyway, so I reel up his rod. He's got this thrashing, this tarpon around. And I'm thinking, oh, God, if I pull my anchor, this could get my, I might get wrapped up with, you know, Jimmy and Cecil and the the boys, you know. I said, oh, God, Michael. I said, pull hard, pull hard. We had 30-pound tests. Pull hard. And the thing was just dumping the reel, falling tide, Great big fish, like 120 pounds. And he goes, oh, fish of my lifetime, I want to gaff this fish. I want to tell it to mount the fish. I, did. I said, oh, God, no, 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 no. <laughs> I never even thought about it. I carried a gaff because that's what you did. Yeah, <laughs> but I didn't know how to use it. I've never gaffed anything in my whole life. Oh, I had on the charter boat, I gaffed a dolphin. So, so we get this fish up, and he finally winds this poor, poor thing, poor thing, all the way up to the boat. Now, he's fought against the tide. The tarpons half drowned. We winded up to the boat, and here I am with this gaff. I don't know if you gaff them over the back, <laughs> under the belly. I know you don't gaff them in your tail, right? <laughs> so Michael says, get it, Rick, get it. Oh, my God. And I'm,
3: God, God,
2: bam, and I, the, I hit the thing and almost fall overboard. I missed it. The scales fly off. Hit it again. I gaffed this thing seven times. <laughs> I never got the gaff in it. I don't think I injured it even a little bit. So finally, I was so... I. I've got a dull gaff. I don't know anything. I finally just grabbed the goddamn thing by the face, put a rope through its gills and tied it to the boat. I'm just huffing and puffing and panting and sweating. And we go back to the dock, hang the poor dead animal up. And it was like, I don't know, it was big. It was the biggest one caught that day. You know, big fleet tarpon, you know. And I felt sick looking at this dead animal hanging there. And I thought about my gaffing, you know, my my killer instinct. Dude, I don't have it. And, uh, you know, all these stories about Huff and Harry and Timmy Clon- everybody getting snatched out of the boat and, drug and cry. I remember Huff saying, yeah, sea fans were going by and I couldn't let go. Stop it! You know, and that ain't me. And so, you know, I want to play a Peter, Paul, and Mary album or something <laughs> you know. puff the magic dragon so, but,
0: so so that was your first day oh
2: it was my first day of guiding so th- this guy was out of his mind it was you know like 40 times bigger than anything he'd ever caught in his life and, he, it, it, and, and at the time it was 35 bucks a day as I say so he gave me like 50 bucks
1: and it was like whoa and that was a very generous tip oh god bucks, yeah. oh Jesus oh my god I was like whoa that's wild. Yeah. And that's so, the
2: only, I'd like to point out, it's the only tarpon I've ever gaffed in my life, and I didn't gaff it well. I didn't even gaff, didn't it. gaff it. You <laughs> didn't gaff it. So I didn't gaff it. I had a whole free. bunch of scales. You're I free. remember I went home and there was a scale stuck on my gaff, and I thought, that's icky. That's <laughs> icky.
3: <laughs>
0: So, so, needless icky. to say, you're not a big game so
2: hunter. So, at, at 53, <laughs> no, I, I did it and I uh, 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 wasn't a good big game hunter. I mean, yes, I did it. And I thought it was something special until I walked up and looked at what I'd done. Right. You know, at 200 yeah. yards, something falls over. It's pretty sterile. When you walk up and you see his it, yeah, it, eyelashes, with a rifle, yeah, yeah. it's not so sterile. But
0: how do you feel about uh, harvesting birds? You know,
2: if it weren't for the dog, I wouldn't do it. it it's all about my dog and the okay. experience of watching the dog work. And uh, I feel bad. I mean, I, I hunted with a very well-known, well-published guy here uh, with Lee Perkins. And, and I shot this bird. And, and uh, we all get together over the poor dead bird. And Ben, Ben Williams is his name. He lives in Livingston. He's quite the, quite the hunter. And Lee Perkins, the owner of Orvis. And Ben says to Lee, he goes, you know, um, uh, Lee, do you have any popsicle sticks? And I'm looking at Ben and Lee's looking at Ben like, what? And Ben goes, yeah, do you have any? I'm out. And I'm thinking, what in the hell was he talking about? He said, "Well, Rick likes to put little white crosses."
0: <laughs> That's
1: hilarious.
0: Yeah, that really hilarious. yeah. tell me yeah. you about your travels with Lee. You guys were good. Oh pals, God, right? he was
2: my he was my second dad, and you know, um, I love that guy. We, we had thirty six years together and we did everything he was game for anything anywhere anytime i took him to french Guiana. we i'd be we went to crazy places doing crazy things but we had um i learned a lot about life from lee um i hope he learned a little bit about fishing from me but he was he was such a mentor in so many ways you know and he was a he was a great guy um, on every level and, and basically uh, you know got me into the ethics of bird hunting and and doing it right. And know.
0: what are what are those ethics and doing it right? Because I'm not a bird hunter.
2: Well, you know, to me, you it, it's got to be clean and and I make things difficult for myself in the hopes that maybe I won't have to shoot one that way. In other words, I, I won't take a shot that's too long. I won't take a shot I don't think I can make you know i don't just like cut loose and hope something drops and um and to me it's it's cherishing so it it's the moment from the point to the meal when you're having that bird is cherishing it all the way how to how to prepare it how to age it um i'm I'm a little over the top with that and a lot of people think I'm it's kind of nuts but it was what lee did
1: and yeah, it's respecting the bird. It's total, total, total but respect. But it's also,
0: too, I think we were speaking earlier about some of the buddies up here. You know, yeah. McGuane, in yeah. the interview yesterday, and, and, yeah. and Chatham and, yeah. uh, and Harrison. Yeah. That was a big part, their, oh, big part of their lives. Oh, yeah. was preparing these birds yeah. for days. Oh, and, yeah. And, and oh it, it, it's a beautiful thing and pairing to me, wines and all that yeah
2: i have a, a hungarian partridge in the refrigerator i'm gonna have for dinner tomorrow night and i age them a certain way and it, it's a uh, 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 it's religious
0: to me right it's religious um how do you feel about about fishing after all these years you know, the you know key, there, there's two types of fishing here. Yeah. I'm talking about the saltwater stuff that you experienced yeah. in Isla Yeah, and the trout fishing here. And is there a difference with that? Oh, big difference. You know, uh, in, in
2: the fishing in Montana, the river fishing in Montana has gotten so crowded, so congested. And I'm all about the experience more than the animals. And so... I remember about 6 years ago I was with a friend of mine we were floating the Madison River and I hooked a, a nice rainbow on a pretty light tippet we had to lo- use light tippet because they're hard to, they're smart they're hard to catch. So I hooked this fish and I do not like to catch a fish out of a drift boat to me it's you're just it's not a good experience. displacing I said right so I said please row over to the bank let me jump out. So I got out of the bank and as I landed that fish which took you know Eight, nine, ten minutes—I don't know. Um, Seven boats went by us, and I—I I was like flabbergasted. There were, you know, when you're in your own little zone, maybe you see a boat up there, maybe right. you see a boat down there, but right. you don't see seven.
1: You don't see them passing. And back.
2: there were there were that many boats, and I unhooked that fish and let it go. He said, "Boy, that was great." And I said, "That was great." And I said, "You know." It's also going to be the last. And he said, what do you mean? He said, I said, I'm done. I'm not going to fish this river ever again. He said, what are you talking about? I said, can't do it. I can't do it. Wow. I can't do it. I, it. My experience has to be pure or, or, or I'd rather read a book.
1: It's like Huff leaving the keys. Yeah. yeah.
2: But you say you do have a, a drift boat.
1: Oh, I've got them
2: all. Yeah. And so now what I've learned to do, Andy, is I will go... Where and when other people won't be there. It's so all the guides out here fish, you know, they put on at eight or nine in the morning and they get off at two, three or four in the afternoon. I'll launch my boat at four mm-hmm. and then do an overnight. And I'll just go float a couple hours, fish, never see a boat, sleep on the bank next to the boat, throw my bag out, cook a little dinner, get up in the morning. They're still five miles up there at the boat ramp. I rode down and I'm
1: gone by 10. Never Nobody even it, knows I went fishing. That's awesome. It's interesting when my dad was talking to Harry and getting intel on you. Uh-oh. Harry said ask him about you know your your overnights just sleeping on the ground. He said that uh, you did 100 nights? No, like 2000 nights uh, you yeah, slept on the ground. More
0: than
2: that probably. Yeah. So my my <laughs> Yeah, people are going to think this is what is Andy doing with this guy. <laughs> uh, so I have well, a little you're... a little deal with myself, and and um, when the movie Jeremiah Johnson came out, Robert Redford, and I've talked to him about this. It's pretty interesting. Uh, that was me. That was me. I wanted. Really? To, I wanted. That was me. And the Eagles, you know, Desperado. That was me. So between the movie and the soundtrack of the yeah. Eagles. I'm that guy. I want to be out there, alone, and I always feel that if somebody's with me, no matter how respectful they are of nature or the situation, you can only hear yourself, your internal dialogue, when you're the only person there to hear it. Um, And that's not saying anything against any of my friends that are great outdoorsmen. You know, but I can only hear myself when I'm alone, and so I I go alone a lot, camp a lot by myself, <laughs> and and I used to uh, have a credo that I would have to spend. This is my own doing. I would have to spend a hundred nights a year on the ground, being in contact with the earth, receiving my energy from the earth, making life decisions from that absorbing that energy and this is where the interview went off the rails right oh no, <laughs> how high I... were you <laughs>
1: no i you know it, it didn't No, but it, I, but I, it I, didn't I, matter no but it yeah, did not matter I'm just rick messing. i'm going to
0: tell you something i have always said the greatest reason i like to fish is because i'm alone yep because I can finally hear my thoughts, that's right. and my creativity yep. has always been on the water. Yeah, yeah. All my life decisions and and, me too. and 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 turns down that main main road have been made while well, you're in the woods alone, camping alone, or on the river yep. alone. Yeah, that's right. And I feel sorry for people who are uncomfortable. Harry, being
2: alone. Harry, you know, being such a good friend to me, he cannot be alone. he he. he it flips him out he just will not be alone and if like i eat dinner alone like a lot and i love it Mm. i love cooking i cook a full meal for myself i mean courses it's my deal i love the process i love i love to sit down to a beautiful meal i cut flowers and put them on the table i'm not gay i just like (laughs) i like the process of dressing the situation up do you dress up not usually. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Nah, nah, sweatpants, sweatpants. <laughs> but, but you know, I don't even take a shower for dinner. But, but the the bottom line is, to me, it, it if you're not comfortable by yourself, there's there's something going on that you're missing. You, right. you can't you can't hear yourself. You don't you need other people's input to. I don't know what, to be justified.
1: So when you'd sleep on the ground, you wouldn't have like a, like a sleeping bag or... Oh, no, no, no. No, I'm not that
2: dumb. No, a sleeping bag and a pad, no tent. No Sle- tent, no tent. Sleeping
1: bag and pad. Yeah. yeah,
2: and if it rains, I just pull a tarp over me. Wow. Mm-hmm.
0: And it was pretty rad, and a lot of girlfriends were not too thrilled with that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, last year I was elk hunting alone, and I was in my tent for about four nights, yeah. and... I woke up the fifth morning, and my shoulders were so bad I couldn't pull my bow back. So I had to go back. I had to go back and and get you know adjusted, adjusted. But then I had you know, unfortunately, I broke a rotator cuff this year, so I have bad shoulders now. I can't sleep on on my sleeping bag anymore. Get a get a better pad. You
2: know what I I just got,
0: and it, it is. I
2: almost hate to admit it because it's not pure. I got a little fold-out cot that weighs oh, yeah. next to nothing. It's only about four inches off Vicky the ground. Unbelievable! And yeah. it, what a difference!
1: It's like the Helinox.
2: Yeah, yeah. But 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 you're not. I really believe you absorb energy from, from Mother you. Earth. Yeah. So do you sleep
0: with your hands on the dirt? I touch it. No, I don't. But I make
2: sure I touch it a lot, wow. yeah, and I go it. barefoot. That's interesting. Yeah.
0: Barefoot. You were very. Where did you, where did you get all this? Um, I, I don't this know. naturally from too,
2: too much Jeremiah Johnson, I think. You know? Okay,
0: look, let's go back. Harry's got a story. He said, "Ask Rick about when you were tarpon fishing, Pink Floyd, The Wall, oh, God. and drugs." Well, I hope we. W- <laughs> I was hoping we wouldn't go
2: there. It's one of his favorite stories. <laughs> and uh yeah that was it was organic as they say and uh we were we were fishing together and we would go out and smoke a little weed and we had at the age of walkman the sony walkman which yeah uh, like prehistory but um so we picked our music and i happened to pick pink floyd the wall so we're fishing the northeast country off marathon we were in harry's boat that day and uh, we go out there and we both get. Properly cooked. And um, we said, Are we ready? We're ready. <laughs> so we pull up to a strip bank out the Northeast where you've been a lot. And we flipped. It was pretty hard to tell who won because, whoa, 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 you know. But anyway, Harry lost. I won. I fished. He pulled. So we're pulling down this bank. And I'm Pink Floyding. And he's, I don't know, a Grateful Dead or something. Anyway, we got him cranked up. Right. I mean, we can't hear each other, but we can sure hear the music. So we're pulling down the bank, pulling down the bank. And 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 Harry, I can just barely hear him go, bro, bro. You know, but I could just, oh, what's that? Waters? <laughs> anyway. So anyway, um, I turn around and he's go, like, and I look over there and there's just about an 85 pound tarpon snoring away he goes <laughs> right. so we're all doing it sign language right so I take my 10 weight rod and I you know and this big face appears snarfles my fly and I'm on and I'm going oh Jesus Jesus <laughs> you know it was like it happened so fast and Harry would go. Right, And so we're both like, and I've got this damn thing on. I'm thinking, oh, God. And I kind of had to be a little attentive to what was going <laughs> on. So I finally wind this thing up to the boat. And it was like, Jesus, I might have taken three hours or 20 minutes. I don't know how long it took. And Harry's still in the platform. I said, get down here. And <laughs> take this thing off. I ain't touching it. I go, you have to take the fish off. You're the guide. He goes, not touching it. (laughs) And I went, whoa, I'm going to have to do that. And it's hard to take a tarpon (laughs) off. So I finally, without breaking your your rod, so I finally worked down the leader and I got the shock leader. And and Harry always likes to say, you got the grip, bro. (laughs) So I grabbed the tarpon and the tarpon starts to thrash me around. And I'm thinking, oh shit! I just hold on tight. So I finally got the tarpon. I got the hook out, and the tarpon swims away. And Harry's still on the platform, going. <laughs> 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 yeah, we did. We had a lot of, and many times we. I remember we were out in front of Duck Key one day when you lived on Duck Key. We just went out. We'd done a little bit of trouble, and and we're sitting there, and all these tarpons start swarming by. And it was like, well, that's cool. We never even made a cast. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so fun. It was uh-huh. just like. Look at those! Whoa, there's a big one! It was so fun. Is Just,
1: awesome. We didn't
0: care. Yeah,
1: we didn't. You, you care. were you were very influential in in starting up the fly fishing program in Las Rocas in Christmas Island. Yeah, right? I set
2: the whole thing up. Yeah.
1: What was the, what was the fishing like in Las Rocas? Because my father and I went about eight years ago, and it was unbelievable. Yeah, I can't even imagine.
2: I went down there. I don't remember the year of maybe '85, and a very wealthy Venezuelan gentleman lived in caracas uh, put the money up for it so i went down there it had never been fly fished never and um i went to gran roque and i uh, i have limited spanish and but i had i did have some money and i uh, i said i i asked around town for the the jefe the, the head fisherman so they all directed me to this one man and this one man was a very cool guy and he had a lobster boat, like a 35 foot inboard lobster boat that, um, he would go out to Los Roques and lobster fish, conch, conch, were everywhere. I mean, just crazy. And so, um, I hired him to take me out there. And so he, uh, the morning we're going to leave, I was in a little tiny, uh, a guest house on Gran Roque, which is an interesting spot. And, um, he, so we're loading. So I've got a duffel bag and I've got some fly rod tubes and I brought, you know, some jerky, some candy bars, some, you know, some stuff. I didn't know what we were going to eat. I didn't know how involved we were going to be. And I didn't bring a bunch of freeze dried stuff, you know, real meals. Yeah. And, and I, so I said to him, I said, Juan, you know, we're going to eat fish. He, he said, yeah, we're going to eat fish. So, okay, good. That's good. So he, in the middle of his boat was a firebox about three by three feet, you know, which with a steel box with sand in it. And then they would build a fire and cook in that. That's how they cook on the boat. They lived on the boat, mm-hmm. slept on the deck. And so uh, so we go out to uh, Los Roques. And it's a beautiful archipelago. I mean, just a beautiful archipelago. And it's classic, you know, with an interior lagoon. So we, we pull up to the east side, if I remember right. And uh, and so I'm trying to yammer on in Spanish. Believe me, I'm better in Latin. And uh, about this, that, and the other. And we pull up and uh, we throw this gigantic anchor overboard. I mean, it, all you could do to pick it up and through the thing in the water and then he jumps in the water to settle the anchor into the sand stand on the haft so i get in the water and with him and we kind of feed the rope out so the boat has a little bit of you know swing and as i'm in the water i'm about knee deep the anchor's sitting there and i look over and there's about five bonefish just snooting away over there like 30 feet. This is after we have thrown the anchor in and the, and they were like, I don't know, three pounds. And so I I go, Juan, Juan, La Caña de Pesca. So he gets my fly rod, hands it to me and I just go, you know, 12 foot cast, boink, hook one, catch it, He'd bring it up. And, and he couldn't believe it because he brought two buckets of mahua which are glass minnows. For me to fish with, that was going to be my bait. He, he you know. So then he, I take the fish off, let it go, and, and he comes over and he takes my fly and he smells my fly. <laughs> and then he, he looks at my fly and then he gets my fly box and he looks at that he smells that. And he's <laughs> going through my flies and, and then he closes the fly box, hands it back to me. And he, he starts going on and on and on. And I'm thinking, holy hell. And he, he and I'm thinking, well, what he was saying to me is, I threw it right up the nose hole of the bonefish because they wouldn't eat anything that wasn't bait. Oh,
0: he uh, said, interesting. He
2: thought I was that good, but right, I threw it right up right. the nose hole. So anyway, so we <laughs> caught, so it. It, it, was, it was silliness. So... The next morning at daylight, we get up and we walk across this little strip of mangroves. So we're climbing through the mangrove trees to the inside of the lagoon, which is grassy. Pretty good phallasia. <laughs> Turtle grass. <I'm> sorry. <laughs> I had to do that. And and so anyway, we kind of come out of this mangrove forest and I'm looking out there and it was barely daylight and it was a fairly about a middle tide and all this grass is sticking out of the water i mean just and i'm thinking why is the grass out of the water on a middle tide and all of a sudden fish uh, everywhere there were probably six thousand bonefish sleeping laid up oh my god laid up now i've seen bonefish lay up in the keys twice in my life. In Los Rokis, that first year, I saw all the time. The the suspend, just like a tarpon. Not in 10 feet of water, but in three feet of water, two feet of water. And the whole thing was a giant wad of bonefish. I mean, it was, so I looked at that and I'm thinking, this can't be true. Because the light I was looking, couldn't see underwater. But all of a sudden I realized those were all tails and dorsal fins.
0: Was that like on a slack tide where they can just hang in the current? And and so I
2: I walked out just five feet from the trees and I just flipped a fly out there. And of course, one grabbed it right away and he took off and the whole place erupted. Then I felt really
1: bad that I ruined their whole day, but it was like I've never seen anything like that. Wow! And they hired you to come over there and and teach them about fly fishing for these bonefish.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. We set the whole thing up yeah. with guides, boats, everything, and then I I went all over the Bahamas uh,
0: training guides all over the place. Did you? Yeah. What yeah. was the most exotic place that you fished that was really outstanding, and you might like to go back at some point?
2: Well, Christmas Island was exotic, and it was interesting, but it's been so beat. Yeah, I agree. That I don't really... I would never go back there. I don't really want to go back. Um, uh, you know, I don't know. There are so many places that are so special. I went to Palmyra Atoll, Canton Atoll in the Western Pacific, closer to New Zealand than anywhere and great bone fishing beautiful untouched uh, untouched nobody you can't get there you know you can't get there and um and they were truly spectacular i mean there were yellowfin tunas like bazillions just off the reef uh routinely 60 to 100 pound wahoo routinely um pretty big bone fish uh Parrot bumphead parrotfish that were six feet long. Where's this again? This is a Canton and Palmyra. They were um, a, a Canton was close to where Amelia Earhart. Uh, it's just uh, north of Gardner Island where she went down. Mm. And um, and so I went down there both times under the auspices of looking for a new mecca, right? Yeah, for bonefish. Mm. So people would hire me to go go to you know. Supposedly know what I'm looking at, and then logistically, how could we put it together?
1: Have you been in New Caledonia?
2: Never have. Never I had heard a... this big bonefish there. Yeah.
0: Did you Did you take people around the world fishing?
2: Yeah, a lot. Yeah. Did you
0: like that? Yeah,
2: I used to do a lot of it. I would take uh, you know up groups up to 24, and and what was really fun, what was really fun, because I would a lot of them were my clients or my client's friends you know right. it so like, there was
0: some trust there so you yeah, knew that yeah. It's all and so it. it's i don't
2: you know to me if if i took uh uh one of my clients fishing if he caught a fish well i think i could have caught that fish probably too you know i just have more right. experience at it so i don't need to prove anything by catching that fish but uh, my my thrill <clears throat> and if i have any credentials as a guide It's because I like to have my clients do have make their day and, um, whether they have any ability or not, it doesn't matter. It's my job to give them the ability to have it happen. And so yeah, I would, I would, every time I took a group, I would go as a second person in that boat. I would do a half day with them, depends on how many people I had either half day or whole day. And I would be there their guide on the bow with them, I wouldn't fish. And I'd say, okay, now let's change flies to this or let's, let us me retie that leader. Oh, that's a wind knot, let's do that. And then I would, so there's a Bahamian or a Venezuelan or uh, somebody on the stern who's pulling the boat. And sometimes I'd pull because I'd like to pull different things. And sure. Do, but but I would do the the hands-on with the client. So you're, you're like- a, I feel like they got their value You're like way. a fish
0: caddy. Yeah, exactly. And
2: I feel like they got their value that way. Mm -hmm. You know, I got to be with them. I got to hang out and yap-yap with them and have a great day with them and watch them be excited about what they were doing. So I got all the good. You're the ultimate guide.
0: Uh, We were talking, you know, early in this conversation about the difference of fishing in the Keys Mm -hmm. and Western fishing trout streams. Yeah. Um, And I was talking to McGuane about this last night. I was saying for me when i'm in the keys i'm more of a hunter yeah and and and, and all my feathers are po- are sticking out like you're on point yeah because you have to work so hard to find that fish yeah and here's more like a centering where you just enjoy your environment and it doesn't really matter well i i have angered a whole
2: lot of friends who
0: are fishing guides in montana by
2: saying so what's the big deal rivers flow downhill <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, and the other thing is, if you float the Madison, there's 3,241 fish per mile, no matter what, if they bite or don't bite, they're still there. When you can fish Florida Bay, there might not be a tarpon within 17 miles of you. Right. And uh, are we just, am I just dumb and can't find the fish today or are there no fish? There's a whole different layer of knowingness or not knowing in the Keys, I mean, if any river here, there's X amount of fish per mile. The fish and game can tell you. Right. Yeah, they're not leaving. So, so I mean, <clears throat> okay, we didn't catch many. Why not? Well, we didn't care. Barometer, bad fly choice, too big a leader, what not? Who mm-hmm. knows? Who knows? But in the Keys, there can literally be nothing there. There. Right.
0: How have you evolved with the change of times uh, in Island Marada? Because I can see that for me, yeah, I've been down there since maybe the late '80s, yeah. thirty-five years or yeah. so, and um, it's it's you know I think it's a little bit easier for Nikki because he's newer with it, yeah. But for me, you know, I'm starting to get a little bit calloused. Yeah. Uh, and I hate to say that because it's still really unbelievable. Yeah. But you've been down there since uh, 1970, yeah. 71. Yeah. And how are you doing with the new numbers that Every, are out there? Everything is so
2: different. It's so different. Um, you know, I I had a meltdown in 1997 where I was kind of at the top of my own personal game. Mm-hmm. I was good enough to be considered good by some people. I could catch fish consistently, but it was the beginning of GPS. People were following me around. Uh, there were less uh, sanctuaries for me. Um, in, in 1980, you could fish the ocean side. You could fish Long Key and never see a boat all day. Uh, you could go fish Craig Key and never see a boat. You could go fish Manowar Basin and see two boats At the most um it was a very different deal and then as i got i evolved to be better simply because i was spending a lot of time and hopefully gathering knowledge then other people were in my opinion short-circuiting all my work you know as huff is fond of saying the way you learn something is pull every inch of it i pulled every inch of it and so did he, and so did Harry, and so did all the good guys. Um, but when GPS came out, you could steal a guy's spot just by driving by. You know, you line that island up, that island up, hit the button, you got it. You don't have to be, that guy could be a half mile away. But you know the line, mm-hmm. right? you go a half mile over there and like, oh, I see. And that was what was going on. And so I, I got angry. I got resentful. And I'll say this, I'm, I'm glad I never said anything to anybody. I was internally angry. I didn't yell at people. I didn't, I was unhappy, but I didn't tell people that I was unhappy with them. But I took note. So in 1997, I had a, a godson uh, who was kind of going wrong in Atlanta. And, um, called me up. He needed help. So I moved him out. I adopted him and I moved him out here and put him through school, at that school next door. And it turned out to be the greatest thing for both of us. But I left the keys when I, that year I did that, 97, to basically end it. I I thought, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna burn bridges. I'm not going to yell and scream and curse and stand in the middle of the road and yell at people. Um, I'm just over it. I'm done. I'm out of here. I don't want to do this. You know, I don't want people like cutting in on me, you know, getting in my face. I like solitude. So I came out here with every intention of only going back to honor my commitments for the rest of that year and done. Goodbye. You know, don't ever need to do this again. So I had a great time with him. And I went back to the Keys to honor my commitments in the spring. And uh, everybody couldn't have been nicer to me. Rick, so glad you're back. How is your winter, man? What's going on? And I'm realizing, whoa, this is not their problem. This is my problem. These aren't, you know, wife beaters, these are nice guys that are good husbands, they're good fathers. They're ethical, but they're cutting in on me. This is my problem. It's not their problem. And I thought, what am I going to do? And I thought, I'm going to learn how to fish where nobody fishes. There are still places that nobody fishes in the mud. You know, and I, why would I bother fishing in the mud when I could go in of War Basin Was crystal clear <clears throat> and see 700 fish? Well, now there's 14 boats in that area. Well, I don't want to be there. And as I tell my clients to this day, I know I could show you 600 tarpon and I could show you 10 boats that are working on them. I don't want to do either. How about you? You know, and I would rather take a guy and show him six tarpon of which he could hook five and never see a boat. And I can still do that most days, still do it. Not every day, but I can still see damn few boats. And that's all I do. That's good. Wow and the tarpon the tarpon are the drug it's like pheasant hunting for birds tarpon are the drug and it brings out all the bad things in everybody because it's such a magnificent animal and everybody wants the the, the height of that experience and can't blame them I get it right. I mean I get it man but to me all the things that are bad in the Keys pretty much center around the tarpon fish. you don't have crazy stuff going on snook fishing you right. just go somewhere else right. you don't have crazy stuff bone fishing you just go across <clears> the channel <throat> and fish the other flat so the tarpon thing has really gotten to be the it's my biggest problem as mm-hmm. a guide because it's the thing I try to avoid the most is being around somebody else and diluting it dilutes my experience right it
0: dilutes it I was watching something recently about Yosemite. I think it was valley uprising Mm -hmm. the great film about the history of the climbers in yosemite and um alex honnell yeah the greatest of all time yeah free solo they were talking about how many people live in the valley floor with the hotels and the tourists and no longer can these guys camp all summer inside you know the gates so Alex said, "Look, I get this. Everybody wants to be here." So he sleeps in his van just outside the gate and then he goes in on a daily basis and does his climb. So he's learned how to work you know mm-hmm. among everybody, yeah, in the same environment as you have. Yeah, And you just have to sometimes you know wiggle and get a different perspective.
2: yeah, and and to me, the way one way I can do it is I'll fish <laughs> later than anybody else so start, i'm always start the last, later.
0: last one in i and always see you at the breakfast table you'll see me at the <laughs> breakfast
2: table maybe for a long time because i'm stalling and and Waiting. i would i would much rather stay out till six or seven at night when everybody else is in at two three or four yeah you get... and then i've got i've got it to myself for a couple hours for sure
0: absolutely yeah. i agree with that yeah. well you're smart yeah what would you like to add to this conversation I don't know, Andy, but I tell you one thing. I'd just like to point out, and I know all your viewers
2: are aware of this, but you are documenting the end of an era. Me, Steve, Harry, you're documenting the middle of another era. Nikki's age guides, you know, the the really good guides, the Jared Raskob's. Those are the guys that are in the at their prime right now. Right. And then there's gonna be some new young guys coming along. And and the, the use of electronics and and uh boat design, engine design, efficiency, all these things, these refinements, the only the only thing I worry about is I don't worry about the guides that are coming along. They're still gonna be clients. You know, as I always tell my clients if every fish in the Keys disappeared, you'd fish with me for at least two years and never even know it.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's good. And you become fluent. You yeah, become fluent a lot of, You would
2: also learn a lot of Latin. <laughs> but to me, it, it, every client who doesn't have a good day, uh, the only person that blames me for a bad day is me. I've never had a client go, ah, oh, that was terrible, Rick. Yeah, sure, it was terrible. It rained, it blew, we saw nothing. But I can't help that, you know. But the bottom line is they blame the situation, they blame the stars, they blame the moon. they bl- But they never... I've never heard anybody really blame the guide, you know, of a client that knows anything. Right. And to me... Um, you know there's still going to be there's going to be clients that are fishing there're going to be guides that are out there i just hope they're not fishing for the last 10 fish that's all right. and so we we got to we got to figure a way to make sure this resource does better i mean there's global warming. There's sea level rising. There's encroachment of population on all areas that are groovy. And I mean, when you're when I talk, take people way up into the Everglades, and I mean remote, I say, you know, that there's eight million people just up over that horizon, and you'd think we are in Nicaragua, right? You know it's that remote but only because Everglades Park if Everglades Park weren't there oh geez I mean we'd have condos on East Cape
0: yeah for sure yeah you're 73 now what uh, how much longer do you want to be doing all this
2: well I I, you know I don't know I I'm physically strong enough Um, I I hope I I think I'm mentally in the game because I love guiding right Uh, like I say do I need to catch another tarpon I don't, it's not a burning desire. Do I want to catch a snook? Yeah. Do I want to fish a six weight rod? Yes. Do I want to fish a 12 weight rod? No. And to me, I, I have the desire. I mean, I love to fish. Uh, nobody will ever say I don't love to fish, but I love to guide most of all. And if I can take, I always kid my clients because I take one new client a year. Last year I took two um, because they never fire me. They never <laughs> they get, see through all the smoke. Uh, uh, I have clients that have fished for 52 years. Oh, that's amazing. I have one family, four generations. Wow. And they keep coming back for another whipping. But I love them. And, and uh, I guess it's mutual because they're still coming back. And And to me, there's no better connection. There's no better connection than sharing what I love and I'm
0: supposedly good at
2: with somebody who doesn't get that opportunity and that to me is what guiding is all about that's why I love it
0: well the next time you have a couple free days call us because we'd love to be with you it'd be very fun we'll pay you double no I don't even want to get paid buddy I don't want to get paid friends and money don't go well with me (laughs) fishing is happiness found in nearer and faraway places with friends, beasts and critters that often leave us awake at night wanting more We all want in. And the maddening crowds now seen on the rivers and oceans make most of us cringe. Rick expressed a profound statement when he said, it's not them, it's me. He changed his perspective with the number of boats on the water. Then it was all good. Wow, what an inspiring way to accept this new world. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to see more content or behind the scenes, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you again soon.